Good morning, good morning, good morning. Great to see you guys. Um, it is an honor to be here. We are indeed best friends that don't talk enough, but we are best friends. Confirm, my brother. Um, listen, uh, Jordan has made it very clear I only have a half an hour, so I don't have time to build rapport, trust that this is going to be great. I can't build credibility with you. I know that's my first five minutes. That's what I'm supposed to do. Just trust and believe God's going to use this time. We're going to be in John chapter 15 and John 16 for the majority of this time. So I know that we don't have anything on the screen. So if you pull your phone out, uh, I'm going to be in the ESV and we're going to be looking at John 15 and then we're going to work our way over to John 16. So if you go to John 15 now, I want you to look at John 15 verses 10 and 11. John 15 verses 10 and 11. It's going to set the tone for what we're going to talk about today. In John 15 verse 10, it reads this way, if you... Keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus has been doing what they call the upper room discourse. He's about to die. And then eventually he's going to depart. And he says something very key. If you keep my commandments, he doesn't say, I love you if you keep my commandments. What he actually says is, if you keep my commandments, you'll actually encounter the love of God. It actually makes you think about disobedience and obedience in a whole new way when you read this verse this way. He's actually saying, I want you to experience the full weight of the love of God, and that happens through obedience. And then he says, these things, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Would you say that with me? My joy. And then he says that your joy may be full. Would you say that with me? Your joy. He says that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, full joy. When you read that, you notice he says your joy, my joy. And then he says, I want your joy to be full. The imagery there is an overflowing joy, a joy that people experience when they see you, when they know you, what they know about you. Joy overflows. That is the abundant life. What Jesus pictures it as is your joy and my joy. When that happens, it overflows. I wonder if you've ever had this moment. Um, have you ever had anybody that, um, you know, they, they came up to you with like 100% energy, but you didn't feel the same way about them? I mean, don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about? They're like, hey, and you're like, how are you? Praise God. You know, like you, you're just, we're not like that. We're not cool like that. You think we're cool like that, but we're actually not on that level, right? They come up to you with 100% energy. And some of you, especially my extroverted type, like you've come up to someone, you'd be like, oh my, you see the, like the person at work that you see outside of work, and it's kind of like, oh my gosh. And, they, and then they're like, hi. And you're like, oh, okay, that's how it is. Like, and so you've, You've come up to them and you didn't have that same kind of energy, right? So there's been times when you've gone up to people and there's been times when people have gone up to you and it was kind of awkward, but think about this moment. You ever been waiting to see your, your homeboy, your homegirl, you haven't seen them in a while and you're sitting in the coffee shop and you see them walking up and you're like, They haven't even gotten in the coffee shop yet, but you're excited to see them. And then when y'all see each other, you're like, what's up? It's just real crazy. Now y'all sitting down together and people looking at y'all like y'all crazy and y'all laughing, right? Because 100% joy met 100% joy. You both were excited to see each other. Now it's changed the atmosphere of that room. It's flowing over because both of you are encountering each other. And Jesus says, that's what full joy looks like. My joy, your joy. And it overflows. And this 
what Jesus is saying about the text, and about the scriptures. Can you believe that the outcome of this text and the outcome of the Bible is for you to have a consistent pattern of joy in your life? And, th- and what that makes you wrestle with is what the disciples had to wrestle with. If you look quickly in John 16, in John 16, verse 6, the context of this is Jesus is talking about his impending death, that he's going to depart. And so because of that, in John 16, verse 6, Jesus says, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The imagery there of filling is like pushing down the other emotions to the point at which joy, or rather sorrow, would fill and move all the emotions, the other emotions out. Sorrow has now filled your heart. And the challenge that he gives the disciples is going to be a challenge for us because he's going to challenge them to have joy in the midst of sorrow. He's saying right now you've got so much sorrow, it's pushed out all the other emotions. It's dominating your heart. And he's going to say there's still room for joy. You can still have joy regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the state of sorrow that you are feeling. He expected the disciples to experience joy, even in the weight of his departure. So what it makes you wrestle with is why don't I have a consistent pattern of joy in my walk with God? Like, why, why, why is that not the case? And many of you could make a really good case for why you don't experience joy consistently. And we would agree with you. Some of you have come from backgrounds that would blow our minds. Some of you are in relationships that are weighty and tragic. Some of you, when you tell us about your parents, you tell us about how you were raised, you tell us about the work life you have, you tell us about some of the things that you are experiencing internally, emotionally through the pandemic, we would sit here and say, you're right, that that is tragic and challenging. But part of what I think the reason why we don't consider joy a consistent pattern in our life is because we tend to receive our emotions from our day. Good day, bad day. See, on a good day, you walk into work, someone, you know, you've been, you've been working out like for a month, two months, three months, gluten-free, drinking a gallon of water, all that good stuff. And someone says, did you? And you go, that's right, I've been, you know what I'm saying? A good day, right? I mean, things are going well at work. You know, people are smiling at you. You smile at them. And so you're filled up, but you're actually not filled with the spirit. You're just filled with a good day. And so you're filled with a good day, so you offer people joy. You're filled with a good day, so you can be patient with that person. You're filled with a good day so you can be kind. See, what's happening is you're filled with a good circumstance. Right? Not, it's not necessarily a byproduct of the Spirit of God. Oh, but watch out when you're having a bad day. Huh? You know, on, on a bad day, I mean, that Zoom call is just wild. And then the person asked the question, right? Like the boss said, bye. And they said, one more thing. You're like, why one more thing? Why couldn't it have been at the beginning when they were asking questions, Right? Are you getting on the train, it's packed, and that, that person decides they don't want to have headphones on. They want you to experience the foolishness they're listening to. I just want you to share in my wild listening uh, behaviors. 
right? So it's just really weird. Or that person that they've decided their job description is just to work your last nerves. And they are doing a fantastic job that day, right? It's just the day is going crazy. And on those days, it's a lot you're receiving. And those days you detonate. You go home and you feel emotionally poor. And you got nothing to offer people. You feel the weight of life. And so part of the reason why we don't experience joy is we have this emotional poverty because we're trying to reach our emotional palates. We're trying to fill our emotional palates from our circumstances. And this is what Jesus is going to challenge us with, church. He's essentially going to say that life conditions don't dictate the heart's condition. That life's conditions don't dictate the heart's conditions. You see, part of maturing in Christ is being able to reach for the joy of Christ in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, and that you would eventually experience a pattern of joy regardless of the day, and that you would overflow with joy. And some of you already realize this is the case because you kind of have a suspicion. You've met people who have everything, everything. I mean, they, they, they've got a great job, great income. I mean, they hit the DNA jackpot. They look incredible, right? Their kids look amazing. And then when you sit with them, you talk about life and everything is down. But they're having a lot of good days. But you've also met people You've met people who come from the mud, rats and roaches. They got nothing. They live check to check, and they're filled with joy. That is not a good day. That's maturity. And that's God's call for you, that you would have a more consistent pattern of encountering the joy of Christ, not just good days. Look with me. In John 16 and 20, the scripture reads this way, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrow, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He does not say it may turn into joy. He says it will turn into joy. What he's talking about is that when he dies and when he is hanging on the cross, He's saying, you are going to see me on that cross, and you're going to cry, and you're going to mourn. He says, but when I resurrect and you see me, you will experience joy. Therefore, what Jesus is saying is, when I come on the scene, my presence changes your emotional palate. When I'm on the scene, when I'm around, I change how you experience life. And you've got to trust that statement, that that. that the presence of Christ can change your emotional state. Here, Jesus is challenging us in the way that we receive our day. What I believe Jesus is eventually saying or essentially saying is joy is an inevitable mark, but not an immediate mark of knowing Christ. It's an inevitable mark that joy is eventually produced. Not, he's not saying we walk around having joy all day. He's saying that when you walk with me, joy eventually gets 
produced. And if you think about it, man, you look in the book of Philippians, Paul is in jail and he's talking about rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. What if joy was a command? What if joy is actually a spiritual discipline? Not just based on how things are going, but it's actually a discipline to experience joy because you're encountering Christ. The Psalms, it's interesting in the Psalms, you look in Psalm 30 and 5, have you ever read this, Psalm 30 and 5, weeping may tarry or endure for a night, but joy comes with the morning? Have you heard that verse before? Right? If you read that verse just as it is, it sounds like, well, you cry at night, you wake up in the morning, and you experience joy because of the day change. You know what I'm But you've lived life long enough, and you know what you know? Time does not heal all wounds. Now, ain't no, that's not a verse in the Bible. That's just life taught you that already. Because there's names I could say to you, and it triggers you to emotions, thoughts, and the past. There are moments that you just slightly think about, and like, like an ankle that's still kind of uh, still fractured, it's still healing. The minute I say that name, your, your brain just triggers all these moments. No, 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 time didn't change anything. Just because it hurts less doesn't mean you're healed. Just because you've moved farther away from the moment doesn't mean you've been healed. And what he is saying, when you read joy comes in the morning, it's not because it's a new day. Read that verse in context. Because before Psalm 30 and 5 is Psalm 30 and 4. What does it say? It says, sing praises to the Lord. O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Before he says joy comes in the morning, he's presuming you've been singing to the Lord, praying, shouting in the midst of your tears. You've been crying out to God and reaching up to the God of heaven to experience him in the midst of your pain. Joy doesn't come in the morning. Joy comes from his presence. Joy comes from encountering him, sitting with him. As you consider your loss, as you consider your pain, it is not healthy just to just have your thoughts all raw and never giving them to the Lord. My kids, I tell you, boy, put, put, take the groceries, put them in the, put them in the freezer, put them in the, that's a simple command. It's real simple. My daughter leaves it out because she thinks, well, if you leave meat out, you know, just leave it out. It'll just melt. I'm like, but, we haven't, we're, we're, but we're, not, we're not cooking that tonight. And so I have to have a whole conversation about raw food. This is, this is raw. And if you leave it out, it, it's deadly. They're like, oh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to do, sweetheart, what we're going to do is we're going to take this meat. We're going to cook it. We're going to season it. Then we'll eat it. But we just can't leave it out. But that's how some of your thoughts are. You see, your, th your raw thoughts are deadly. Deadly to your spiritual life and deadly to offer it to your friends. Your raw thoughts? My Lord. No, you need to season that thing. You need to cook that thing in the Holy Ghost. You need to season it in some promises, in some New Testament. Because that raw thought, whoo, my Lord, just nasty. And the things, that, the things that you're thinking about yourself, 
That's all because you're just letting your raw, you're just, you are bathing in raw thoughts. And raw thoughts are toxic. Toxic to you, toxic to your family, toxic to your children. If you offer raw food to your kids, we'd call you a bad parent. You offer raw thoughts to your friends. You're dangerous spiritually. And so this is what he gives us as this imagery of of singing, praising, that you need to offer truth to yourself in the midst of sorrow. And so what Jesus does for us is that he he gives us this analogy. And this analogy is is helpful, I believe. Look in John 16 and 21. John 16 and 21. Jesus says this. He says, look, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when Jesus, when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, mothers, one thing that you already know is that the fact that the baby has arrived does not mean the pain just left. That can't be what Jesus means. Amen? No. He, he's saying the word is remember. He's saying that once the baby is born, all of your attention, all of your affection, all of your thoughts are so drawn towards the baby that you're not thinking as much about the pain, though the pain is still there. And when we had our first child, the first thing my wife said, let me see the baby. Well, let me, let me see that baby. Said, there you go. This is it, baby. She was excited. Sitting there sweating. But even now, even now, the iPhone does this new thing now where it just brings up old photos out of nowhere. You know what I'm talking about? And my wife, we have three children, three daughters, praise God, you know how to pray. (laughs) But listen, we have these kids. My wife, she'll have a day with them. My, my 11-year-old, that, that Leah, I, t- I tell you, I, she, she's trying me. She's trying, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, she, boy, and you know, and the thing is, the thing is, she thinks I'm crazy, but you know what? I'm not crazy, okay? Because I, and my wife is just, we're laying in bed, she's just going off, she's going off, she's upset, and I'm like, yeah, because it's not about me, so I'm kind of excited. So I'm like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? She's crazy, you know, so I'm just, yeah. And then all of a sudden, she'll look at her phone. And it'll bring up an old picture when she was a baby. And she'd be like, I can't, I can't. And then, oh, no, it's you. Oh, my, oh, my. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? And she looks back to when she was a little baby. And she just, like, goes back to that moment. And I'm like, wow, what was that? It's the same kid, right? This is, um, we, for those of us online, you guys can see this. But this is when my, um, this is when my, so I have three daughters and I have a, a I have a five-year-old because when I turned 40, I felt like life wasn't hard enough. So, but look, this is, this is my baby. This is my baby, huh? Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's cute. This is right when she was born. Right when she was born, right? And 
When she was born, my wife was so excited to, to look at that baby. But could you imagine just kind of like an awkward moment, right? Like, could you imagine this? Um, say you had a coworker who had a baby. She's been out for months, and she didn't post any of the pictures on Facebook or Instagram, so you hadn't seen the baby. She comes back from work, or comes back to work, and you're like, hey. And she's like, hey. You're like, you had the baby. She's like, I did. And you're like, let's see some pictures. She's like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. So she goes, okay, here we go. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. And everybody's gathering around because they haven't seen the baby, right? She goes, all right, ready? She opens up the phone and she goes, look, look. She shows you a picture of when they were arriving at the hospital. Like, okay, this is when we arrived and there was an attendant. He was kind of nasty and kind of weird. And anyway, so but this is when I first got in the um, office and they were giving me all this medical stuff. And it was, a, okay. And then this is another picture. This was the nurse. She was so sweet. We ended up going to the same high school together. All right. This is when he gave me the epidural. And I was like, do you have a take home pack? Cause hey, right. And so this right here and like, she's going, she's going and she's flipping through pictures and you'd be like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get to lunch. Um, hey girl, um, could we see the baby? Can we see the baby? And what if she was like, I don't, I don't really have any pictures of the baby. I just have pictures of the labor. You'd be like, that's so weird. But for many of us, that's our spiritual life. You see, we talk about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We talk about the labor so much and we don't stare at the baby. We talk about the pain of that boss. We talk about the pain of that loss. We talk about the tragedy of the past. We talk about our fears for the future, but we don't stare at the baby. What's the baby? The baby are the precious promises of Christ. The Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen, meaning you can count on them. They are certainty in an uncertain world. They are an anchor in a world that is an ocean of fear, an ocean of pain. And he's saying, that when you stare at the baby, you're sitting there sweating, go, oh, it was so worth it, even though this hurts. And he is comparing a baby to his presence. That is our tragedy. That's our challenge, to look, to perceive, and to see Christ in the midst of tragic circumstances. You could tell me stories right now. You could sit right now. We could sit together right now and we could talk about why you are not in a place of just receiving the presence of Christ. But this is a command because he wants you to experience his love. And so this last verse is instructional. John 16, verse 22. John 16, verse 22. I want this to stay with you because this is either true or it's not true. This is true or it's not true. And this is such a definitive statement. We've got to trust him in his word. Or we've got to doubt his word. Look what he says, John 16 and 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
No one. Now, the imagery that he gives there is him saying, I have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, deposited joy in you, and no boss, no friend, no day can take that away because it's deposited inside of you. And the tragedy of that is like having a treasure that you never access. He's saying, this is inside of you. No one can take it, but it may be that you don't access it. And so... As I close, I wonder what it looks like for us to know that we have joy regardless of circumstances. Uh, I grew up in a house. Um, my dad worked for IBM in White Plains. Um, Brooklynites like to call that upstate. Praise God, it frustrates me. I'm like, do y'all know geography? But, so, so, that's, so I grew up in a house, right? And then I moved, in 94, I moved to the South. I played college football. I was in the South for 19 years. In 2013, JMU Dukes, I felt that, I felt the presence. Um, so in 2013, I moved back to New York, but I moved to Brooklyn. I'd never lived in Brooklyn. And um, do y'all remember the, uh, the polar vortex? Y'all remember that? What is it? What was that? It was just cold. I was like... It's a polar vortex. What is that? It's just cold. That's what we knew, right? Um, so we, we experienced this polar vortex. It's cold outside. So we move into our apartment. It's freezing outside. And I'm like, what are we going to do? My wife's like, we got to turn this heat up. So I'm like, bet. All right, cool. So we're looking for the thermostat. And my wife's like, maybe it's, by, maybe, maybe it's in the bathroom. I'm like, a thermostat in the bathroom? We don't see it. She's like, you know what? Go across the hall and ask the neighbor where the thermostat is. Now, my neighbor was born and red, raised in Brooklyn. So I knock on the door. Hey, Maria, how you doing, girl? Listen, um, where's the thermostat? And she just looked at me. She just kind of looked me up and down. Her body kind of swayed like this. Head just tilts to the side. Oh, you're looking for the thermostat? I said, yeah, where, where is it? She said, there is no thermostat. I said, what do you, what do you, when you say no thermostat, she says, there is no thermostat. I was like, so who controls the heat? She's like, the landlord. I was like, when does he do it? She's like, great question. I was like, so what you're telling me is that we don't know when it'll be warm again. She was like, precisely. I was like, I walked back in the house. She's like, where's the thermostat? I said, baby, there is no thermostat. She said, there must be. I said, that's what I thought. Go talk to Maria. She's been going through this her whole life. We moved to another apartment. Y'all, I was looking for a washer and dryer. I was looking for stuff for my kids. But do you know what I was really looking for in that next apartment? A thermostat. So we move into the apartment. If I, I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, the thermostat didn't work when we first got in there. I was traumatized. I was like, I'm touching it. I'm like, what's going on? So we call up the landlord. He comes in, fixes the thermostat. Boom, starts working. And then he... We, we have high ceilings, right? So then he turns it on, and I hear it. And I go, could you stay in here? I just I haven't felt heat 
long time, right? So I'm just like, just stay here with me. He's like, man, don't worry. It's, it'll, it'll come on. Just, just wait. And I was like, just stay here. And then and all of a sudden, the and the heat starts coming in. It starts warming up, warming up. He goes, you got it. And he says, whenever it gets cold out there, you just turn the thermostat up. You got it. You control the heat. And y'all, when God sent his son to die for you, he sent his son to die, die for your sins. But he also deposited in you the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of the living God lives inside of you. He's inside of you. And when you access him, when you are up at night crying and weeping and enduring and you're in the morning and you're about to go to work and you're pressing into his presence and you're reading your word and you're in his presence, over time, it's coming. See, you remember life without the thermostat. You see, when it's no thermostat, it's cold out there and it's cold in here. But when you have a thermostat, it's cold out there, but it's warm in here. It does not matter what's happening on the outside when you have a thermostat. It does not matter what's happening at work when you have the Holy Spirit. It does not matter what's been in your past when you're accessing the Holy Spirit. And I ask that today you would not be defined by your circumstances, nor would you be defined by your day, nor would you be defined by your past, that you would press into his presence. And I pray that you would have a consistent pattern of joy in your life. And when people see your joy, it's not because you got a new car, a new raise, you lost weight. It's because Christ was good yesterday, today, and forever. And that's the gospel, that we have him, and he is our thermostat forever and ever. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you, God, for the joy of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Spirit of God would be offered to people around us, that people would see our joy and know it doesn't come from just a good day. Our joy comes from a good God. It comes from the presence of the living God. Now, God, be with us. Mature us in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.